Job chapter one. No, we are not starting over this morning. So don't, don't fret about that, but we are going to start early in the text. couple of things. Next week, Frank, uh, Brother Frank Webster will be preaching for us. If you haven't had a chance to hear Frank preach, uh, come and listen. It will be worth your time. He always does a fantastic job, and so uh, be excited to be praying for him over the course of this week. We're going to be heading down early to be in services in Little Rock on Sunday, uh, and so you guys be praying for Frank as he comes and brings God's word. Uh, the second thing is we had a fantastic week at church camp this week. We took the kids, and so I want to tell you, if you are a parent today, uh, if your child is between the ages of 7 and 12, uh, we will be going back to camp in July next year, so make plans for them to be there. Also, if you have one that's 13 to a senior in high school, uh, there is a teen camp in June that we would love to take your students to, and so you guys kind of keep those things in the back of your mind, and we'll be announcing those uh, next summer as they begin getting closer. Uh, it was a special year at camp this year uh, because on Thursday night, Aniston uh, asked Jesus to be her Lord and Savior, and so we were really excited about that. I don't know. She may be 14 before I get to baptize her, uh, but she's just kind of got that in her head that someone's going to hold me underwater. Uh, but anyway, we were so glad, and it, what that did for us was it enabled us to have a group of students there um, that going into it, Aniston was the only one. The rest of the students we had there, I have been able to see, uh, I've been able to see them be saved and or baptized, well, saved and baptized with the exception of one. They are saved, but they, I haven't had a chance to baptize them yet, and so um, it was an exciting week. It was a great time to be down there. The kids were fantastic, and so we appreciate your prayers uh, while we've been down there, but did want to share that with you. Uh, I want to thank you this morning as we kind of dive into the text. I want to thank you for bearing with me through the study of the book of Job. Uh, I hope it has been beneficial. I, I know it's been beneficial to me. I hope it's been beneficial to you. If there was any part that you have missed over the course of our 20-plus week study of the book of Job, you can go back and find that uh, online. But we are drawing to a close. This week we're going to be in the next to last sermon, and then Frank will uh, he'll preach something different next week, give you a little break, and then the last Sunday of the month we will come in uh, and finish up our book of Job, and then we'll spend the next three to four weeks just on a shorter series before we begin a study in a, another book. But uh, it has been a, a good study, a lot of uh, things that we have learned in it. You know, it's not really been an exciting book in terms of, you know, some incredible miracles. Kind of like, for me, Mark was an exciting book. Jesus is doing these miracles, and he's getting ready to, to, to die as a sacrifice for us. So there's all that, you know, all that kind of surrounding uh, the last portion of that book. But it is certainly a book that was filled with a lot of reality. Um, you know, for, for me and, and for you both, as we kind of got in and some of the questions that Job kind of forced us to ask and what our responses would be. And, and you know, if you, we were to walk up and down the halls of a, of a hospital or we were to be inside uh, our, our closets at home or maybe our bedrooms or sometimes even our car, Job forces us to, to look at the questions that we find ourselves asking uh, as, as, as God's people when we encounter things as Job did. And so uh, it, it's caused us to dig deep. And today uh, we're going to take a look at what Job teaches us about ourselves. And so as we dive into the, uh, a few passages of scripture that, that kind of allude to some of these, we're going to look at seven lessons that Job teaches us uh, about ourselves. And so we're going to be again in Job uh, chapter one to begin 
And then we'll kind of work through a few passages this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Heavenly Father, we uh, are so thankful for your word. We, we're thankful, Lord, that for even a book like Job that maybe isn't uh, exciting or maybe doesn't always leave us feeling uh, super happy, but God, it is a, a good book for us because it deals with a lot of the things that we find ourselves dealing with on a daily basis Lord, just living life uh, as we know it. And Father, I thank you for the truths that Job has, has revealed to us over the course of our 20-plus uh, week study of this, of this book. And God, I pray that even today, as we kind of go back and take a, a kind of a, a review look over what we have learned from Job and what Job teaches us about ourselves and what it should teach us, God, I pray that, that it might be an encouragement to us. Uh, Lord, that today there's going to be some, some highlights and just some, some good things that we can, we can receive from the book of Job. And God, I pray that we would take those things, Lord, and, and that the truths that we find in your word uh, would, would transform us, that it would, uh, we would put our feet on some solid ground, Lord, that even despite the way that it feels like culture may be shifting around us or even the foundations that we have built our life on may be shifting under our feet, God, we know that your word is a surer foundation. We know that it is the rock upon which we can build our lives and we will never be shaken. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to stand firm. I pray this morning that you would help us to see the promises that you've given us, Lord, and the truths that you have given us in your word uh, to help us stand firm in our faith and, and stand firm when things around us may seem like and feel like they're shifting. And so, Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to be here this morning. I thank you for the privilege of being able to be the pastor of this church and these people. And God, I'm thankful for each and every one, Lord, and their desire to live uh, for you. And I just ask your blessings on the, on the reading and the preaching of your word this morning, that you would be our teacher, that you would be our guide, and Lord, that you administer to us uh, as we study this morning. For it's in Christ's name we ask it all. Amen. As we kind of dive in this morning, we're going to begin really in, in Job chapter 1, verse 1. And it said, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And, and you know, right off the bat, we discover that, that Job was a, was a good man. Matter of fact, later on in chapter 3, he's described as the greatest of all the men of the East. Through this introductory chapter of the book of Job, we find out he has seven sons and three daughters, that he's a, a very wealthy man, and in fact, there was no one wealthier and no, no one more well-known than Job. Job had finally made it uh, and, 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 and had it made. But without knowing it, as we get into chapter one, without knowing it, there's this dialogue taking place between God and Satan. And Philip Yancey, who's a, a preacher and a, and a, and a writer, he made the comment that he, he, he describes what happens in this conversation, this dialogue between God and Satan. He describes it as the divine wager. And essentially what happens, if you've not been with us, what happens is, is that God is in heaven and, and, and Satan makes his way up there and, and, he, 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 and, and God basically says, hey, Satan, what's going on? And of course, God knew exactly what was going on, but he was proving a point. He says, well, I've just been going to and fro on the earth and... And, he's, and God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan essentially says, yeah, I've, I've seen your servant Job. And he said, in fact, who wouldn't serve you for the way that you've taken care of him and the way that you've blessed him? Any man would serve you by the way you've protected and, and blessed and watched over and walked with him. But, you know, if you were to take all that away from him, he would surely curse you to your face. 
And so the divine wager was that God knew Job was a man of integrity, that he was faithful, that it didn't matter what happened to Job, that Job would never curse God uh, to his face. And so God essentially allows Satan to, um, I guess, have his way with Job. He allows him to touch everything Job has, his health, his wealth, his, his family, everything. The only thing, the only parameter that God had put on Satan was that he could not touch Job's life. And so in chapters one and chapter two, we literally see Job lose everything and, and we find him in, a, in, a, in a, a heap of ashes in the city dump, wearing sackcloth and shaved his head, covered in boils, running a fever in excruciating pain. And so we find all that begin to take place in this divine wager in chapters one and two. Um, and so uh, what we find is this brings us to the first lesson that I want us to, to, to look at. And so if you're taking notes, I'll give you seven things this morning uh, that are important for us. So the first one is this. We never know ahead of time the plans God has for us. We never know ahead of time the plans God has for us. Now, we don't know what each day is going to bring. Uh, it could be that that it, that day brings good. It could be that that day brings bad, and it can work either way. I never knew that about 13 years ago, when I was walking to a state meeting, that I would meet my wife. I, I had no clue. That was a good thing that happened, but I didn't know ahead of time. There were no angels singing to me, "Hey, today is the day that you will meet the woman you're going to marry." It just happens, and it does not happen on my timeline. Doesn't happen. It happened when I least expected it. We were like the youngest people there by at least 20 years. And there was just the two of us. And it just so happened we were both there. But at the same time, God did not warn Job ahead of time that this destruction was about to fall upon him. And so we have no idea uh, ahead of time the plans God has for us. And so what do we learn from, from, from Job? That we, again, we never know what a day will bring, good or bad. Our, our heavenly Father, the omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-everywhere-at-once God that we serve, His plan unfolds apart from our awareness, that He doesn't let us know ahead of time. And I would remind us, our walk with, with God, our walk with Christ, is, is a walk by faith, not by sight. It, it, it's, it's a walk of trust, of not touch. And so we're not always going to understand. It's a, it's a walk of leaning on God, not running away from him. And so it's those times when, when the bad happens that we lean ever more into Christ, not, not say, well, God wasn't who I thought I was because, or what, who, who I thought he was, because sometimes we're wrong. We're going to talk more about that in, in a few minutes. But we never know ahead of time, and so we lean into him, we trust him, and, 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 and we, we have faith. No one knows ahead of time what God's plan is, but it's the best way. He knows ahead of time. He's not obligated to share it with us, but we can be certain of this. God knows what's best for us. Matter of fact, let me share some scriptures with you this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. You may want to jot these down and come back to them in a few minutes. But he says, he says this, and of course he's speaking to Israel, but the same words here are true for us. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. God knows the plans that he has had for Israel. He knows the plans that he has for Andy and he knows the plans that he has for you. 
He has a plan for you. And it's a plan for good and for future and hope. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, the part of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 20, 24 says this, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Basically, it's saying the same thing we've been talking about, that God has established our steps, and we don't know ahead of time what that may look like. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And I save that one for last, because God's plan for our lives is not to weaken us or to destroy our faith. His plans for us are for our welfare, to give us a future and a hope. But that does not mean that life is going to be easy or comfortable. It will be different from our own plans, and so be ready for anything, and I do mean anything. We don't know what God's plans are, and so, but he does, and so be ready for everything. Number two is this this morning. A vertical perspective will keep us from horizontal panic. Now, what, what, what does that mean? Well, a, a, vertical, a vertical perspective, so I'm keeping my eyes on Christ, will keep us from horizontal panic when things in this life feel like they're spiraling out of control. If you think about Job, and matter of fact, if you go back to, to Job chapter 1, or to verse 20, he says this, after he lost his, his servants and after he lost uh, his sheep and after he lost his animals and his sons and his daughters, he says this in chapter 1, verse 20. He says, it says, then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, as we look at that, Job does not deny what happened. He acknowledged it. It's why we see his actions when he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground. But don't miss what his ultimate response was in all of this. He worshiped. He said, I came into this world with nothing. I will leave this world with nothing. God gave, God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His vertical perspective is clear. It's firm. He knows exactly in whom his trust is. Uh, so what happens on this horizontal plane of life with the, the loss of all that he had does not cause this man to panic. It's as if Job was saying, I had, I enjoyed, I was blessed, but now I'm without those benefits. They're no longer a part of my world. I'm heartbroken over the loss of my family, but the same God who gave all of these gifts by his grace is the same God who in his sovereign will has chosen to take each of them away. I honor and praise him and may his name be exalted forever. You see, when life goes smoothly, when life is going easy, our view of God has a tendency to be high. Like I think of him, he is good and he is great and, and he is worthy of my praise and we're reveling in the scriptures and we're hanging on every word of the preacher and, and things are good and we look forward to being in church. Our view of God is high. But when bad things happen, all of a sudden all those things we, that were once so precious to us are things that begin to to. to, to fall by the wayside. No longer are we necessarily hanging on every word of scripture. In fact, we may feel so miserable that we don't even want to get into the word. 
We don't want to come to church because we know someone's going to ask us how things are going and we really don't want to be a downer and let them know really how things are going in my life. We find our view of God lowering because of the panic in our life is changing how we view God. And instead, what the inverse of that should be true. How, what I'm seeing of God and what I'm learning about God changes my response to the, to the things that are happening in my life. That it may feel out of control for me, but for God, all these things are under his control. Remember when Job was talking, or when God was t- teaching Job about the Leviathan and the behemoth, these two massive animals that, that strike fear in the heart of everybody uh, and, 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 and no one can control Yet God created them and has control over them and has set parameters around them. It's the same thing for our lives. These, these things that strike fear in our hearts, these things that we feel are, are spiraling out of control, God has set parameters around. They're not going to do more in your life than what God desires for them to do. But we know that our God has control over all these things. All these things that we feel like we are not in control of, God has everything under control. And so it changes. My vertical perspective changes what happens in this horizontal plane. And so a proper vertical perspective will help us from from this horizontal panic that we have a tendency to find ourselves in. Number three is this, vertic- uh, discernment, vertical, not di- vertical, discernment is needed to detect wrong advice from well-meaning people. Remember in Job chapter two, all this is happening and Job's wife in verse nine says something along the lines of, why don't you just curse God and die? I, I know, based on the text, two things for certain. I know one, that Job's wife loved her husband. They are still together in chapter 42. The second thing I know is, is that Job loved his wife, but his love for her did not blind him to her wrong advice. It didn't blind him to it. You know, sometimes our love for people and, 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 our, and our knowledge of their love for us will cause us to that really is not wise, good, sound, biblical advice. And so we need discernment. We need that ability to, to know or to, to, I hate using word like discern in a, in a definition of discernment, but for us to have the wisdom to know when it's good advice and when it's not. And so, uh, you know, here's God early in, earlier in the book. He's bragging on Job's integrity. Satan's attacking it. And she's encouraging Job to do what Satan had predicted. That she would not, she, he would quit holding fast to his integrity and just curse God. But Job stands firm. And his response in two, chapter 2, verse 10 is so good. He says, he, he said, well, let me read it. And then, and then I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it. He says, he says in verse 10, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. This is basically what Job's saying. He's saying God isn't just our God when things are good. 
God is still God when things are bad. Our faith in him isn't limited just to those days when good things happen or, that he, or when he chooses to bless us. Uh, he's our God even when adversity strikes, even when a diagnosis happens, even when a child turns wayward, even when a marriage feels like it's on the rocks. He is still God, and he is the Lord of good days and bads, and he didn't leave the day that suffering began. He did not abandon us the day that suffering began. He is as close to us in the good days, and he is ever closer in the bad days. He's still there with us. And so discernment is needed to detect wrong advice from well-meaning people. Number four, fourth thing we learn uh, from Job that that Job teaches uh, us about us is that when things turn from bad to worse, sound theology helps us remain strong and stable. This week I had the opportunity to give the devotion, give a, a morning chapel service to the students and, and this, this topic came up of, of sound theology. Now, I didn't teach, you know, essentially kindergarten through roughly sixth graders about sound theology. But I did tell them this, what you believe matters. What you believe matters. Because what you believe and why you believe it ultimately steers how we, how we choose to live our lives. And so I just started out by asking them some true false questions. You know, true or false, the sky is blue. And most of them said true. You got a few knuckleheads that on that day it was cloudy. You're like, oh, it's white. I said true or false, um, the sun or the, the, the earth is flat. Of course, everybody knew. But how do you know that the earth, anybody been in space? How do we know that the earth is indeed not flat? I've never been high enough to see its round shape. And they're like, well, because you see pictures and people in space have seen it and they come back and tell us about it. And I'm like, yeah. And I said, guess what? This book tells us truth. We can't see it. We may not you know, be able to touch it. But I said, there is truth here. And listen, what this, we need to know what this book says. Why? Because sound theology helps us remain strong and, and stand firm when bad things happen. Because if I come in and I, and I think to myself, God is good and God is loving and God will never allow anything bad happen to me. And you wake up the next morning and you stub your toe on the end of the bed and everybody knows there's few things hurt worse than a toe on the end of a bed or some other sharp object. A Lego may be the worst of all. And you think bad thoughts because it happens. You can't say, our natural, our, our, you know, we can't logically make the leap, well, God is good, I stepped on a Lego, now God is bad and he must not exist. But that's what we do in life. We want to think something about God that may not necessarily be true about him, that's revealed about him in his word, and then when life doesn't happen like we think and expect it to happen, we want to blame God for it. Well, that's not the God I want to believe in. Well, is it the, is it, are you worshiping an idol, a God of your own creation, or are you worshiping the God that we find in the scriptures? Because he tells us in this world you are going to have trouble. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. 
He says, I've come that you may have peace. And he said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he says, listen, I have overcome the world. And so do we look at him and say, hey, you're the world overcomer. And so I need you to help me to overcome this world that I'm living in, this, these trials that I'm, I find myself steeped in. I need you to help me get through these things because you've told me it's coming. And so I'm watching, but I know that you're here with me. Or do we say, well, troubles come. God must not exist. God must not be as good as I thought he was. God must not love me as much as I thought he loved me because if God did, then he would know I would never want these things to happen and yet he's allowed these things to come into my life. Sound theology helps us to stand firm. And, and, and even you know, the scriptures tell us that we should, wouldn't be tossed to and fro like a, a boat on the ocean wave, just up and down and up and down. We might, uh, uh, today might call it a roller coaster. He didn't want us to be up and down, up and down emotionally. And so what's he do? He reveals himself to us in, in the scriptures, and he shows us who he is. And books like Job deal with the reality that, you know, sometimes things just happen, and we aren't going to understand why. And I'm a guy that loves answers. I want answers. I want facts. I want to know for certain what something is. And sometimes it's just God says, hey, buddy, I just want you to... I want you, just want you to have faith. I'm not going to tell you any more than you need to know right now in this instance. When the time comes in my will to reveal what's next, I'll show it to you. And you know what I have to trust? I just have to trust what the scriptures say, that God has a plan for me and for my family and for you, that God has a plan for this church, that it's not a plan to bring us harm, that it is a plan that is to make it, to, it is a good plan and it's a plan that's good for, for us and it's a plan that's good for God and I just have to trust that because sometimes I don't understand. Sometimes I can't see how certain things are beneficial to me but I know that God does and so my faith is in him. Not in what I want him to be like but in who he really is and how he can use the things in, that are going on in my life to ultimately bring glory to him and to help make me stronger, to help give me the endurance that I need to get through life. Maybe, maybe that he's allowing it to happen to me so that I can comfort someone else that's encountering the same thing. Maybe the, the same for you. We've watched as those of you that are past cancer patients have reached out to our current cancer patients and how you've been able to speak some encouragement into their life. Encouragement that nobody else can speak because nobody else has walked that path but you have and you've been able to comfort them. And I thank you for that. And it's the same way for all of us. We've experienced things and, 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 and in a moment, it may provide us an opportunity to bring comfort to someone else. But when things turn from bad to worse, sound theology helps us to stand firm, to be solid and, 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 and strong. The next one this morning is this. Caring and sensitive friends know when to come, how to respond, and what to say. If you look at Job chapter 2, we find in verse 11 that Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, burst on the scene, and their intention was to come to bring sympathy and comfort. And ultimately, we know that they didn't do that, um, and it would have been better if they hadn't said anything at all, but they don't. They talk, and it just winds up. And I, and I would say this. Our level of compassion, I want you to listen to me this morning. This is important for us as a church. All of these things are, but I think this is one of them that would be important for us. Our level of compassion, mine, 
yours. Our level of compassion is something we ought to examine. You hear me? Our level of compassion is something we need to examine. Are we compassionate? In our, well, I would just, are we compassionate, period? Or, or do we have a tendency to grow hard and cold? Here's what I mean by that. If you look at Job, Job's three friends came with good intentions. What we find in the bulk of Job is them just speaking condemnation and shame and being critical and saying, Job, you're just getting what you deserve. And we know from early on that's not the case. Job's not getting what he deserved. But do do we have the tendency to be compassionate towards those who are enduring suffering? Or do we have a tendency to be judgmental and harsh and say, well, obviously bad things are happening to you because you've done something wrong. And if you would repent of it and turn to Jesus, and someone they could be adamant, I have not done anything wrong. Or do we handle them with compassion? Do we meet the need first? Do we come with comfort and sympathy first? What about how we respond to those who are sick in our church? Those that are enduring that? Do we reach out to them? Do we call and check in and see how things are do, how they're doing? And I know sometimes, like we just think, and even with people who are gone each, you know, maybe gone this week, we all sit in roughly the same spot, except Russell. Russell got kicked up here to the front row this morning. But we mostly sit in the same places we always sit, right? And so we notice when someone else is gone. But we always have, I don't know about you, we have this tendency to think, oh, someone else will call them. And then we wait, and then, you know, you find out that maybe nobody has called them, that no one has reached out to anybody. What's our, and our level of compassion ought to be examined. Are we reaching out to people? Do, when, we, when we notice someone leaving the church, maybe visibly upset, or, or may, you know, just whatever the case may be, or we discern, there's that word again, we discern that maybe spiritually something's going on in somebody's life. Do we reach out to them? Are we compassionate toward them. And compassion looks a lot of different ways. But are we being compassionate? And so caring and sensitive friends know, uh, know, what, know what, when to come, how to respond, and what to say. And so we need, we need faithful friends. Not only do I want to be a faithful friend, but I need faithful friends who will comfort me. And you know what? Not only comfort me, but will confront me. That when I'm not living as I should, they would come to me in love and in truth and share with me where I may be falling short. But not in Job. Chapter 3, Job has an outburst, and that's when his friends really come in for their attack, which leads us to number 6. It's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback when we, and I've made a, a typo here, when we encounter, go ahead and throw that up there, JP. It's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback when we encounter another's Outburst, not another outburst, which is, it'll be up there in a minute, but in another out, another's outburst. So when we, someone else who's suffering has an outburst, it's easy for us to be like Monday morning quarterbacks. You know Monday morning quarterbacks? Anybody familiar with that term? Like they know everything, you know, they, or they think they do, right? Well, if I'd have been in your situation, here's what I would have done. No, you wouldn't have. You'd have sat there dumbfounded just like I did, Right? Or you wouldn't have done that. You might have, you know, they, but they always have these, these answers that they point out every mistake. Well, if you hadn't have done this, well, it doesn't matter, 
right? Don't Monday morning quarterback your friends. And so understand that, that, that for us, you know, we're not to, you know, it's easy for us to do that when we encounter someone's outburst. But instead of being a Monday morning quarterback, try something else. Try something else. Be quiet. Pray. And try hard to imagine the pain and suffering they must be going through. Sometimes the pain and suffering other people are going through, we've experienced, and so we are able to sympathize and empathize with them. Other times, we have no clue. And if we have not experienced what they have, we have no right to Monday morning quarterback their life, point out their mistakes and where their failures were and what they had done. And so we need to be cautious that we do that. Job, he ultimately sees the error of, 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 of what he had done. And in chapter 42, we see that he repents, and God, in his justice, brings that satisfying moment where he rebukes his three, with his three friends, and, and in his rebuke, has a desire for, to bring them back into a, a restored relationship with him. And God richly blesses Job for his integrity and his submissive spirit, and God honored Job for his incredible faithful endurance, which leads us to the seventh thing we're going to talk about this morning is this, that the culmination or the cultivation of obedient endurance is the crowning mark of maturity in a Christian's life. Now that's wordy. I know that. God's ultimate, look, ultimate goal in your life is to bring about obedient endurance, that even when things are going bad, we are still living an obedient life to him. That even when things are, are, are beyond our control, a major goal of wholesome, healthy Christians is the hope of reaching maturity before death takes us, takes us away. You see, as I grow old, and I was having a conversation with a few this morning, I am growing older much faster than I want to. And it's not my age that makes me feel old. It's the, it's the speed at which all these babies who are here, and when the first like year we were here, are now getting older. And students I had as, in, in youth ministry are having kids and getting married, and it's, it's blowing my mind. That makes me feel old. I was talking to another guy this week. He said, just wait till you got like grandkids. And your kids are like 36, and they've got kids and, and grandkids. And then it's a whole nother... But as I grow old, I hope and pray that I'm growing up as I'm growing old. You get what I'm saying? That there's a maturity that's taking place, that I'm not th almost 36, I'll be 36 next week, that I'm not 36 and still like emotionally and, and spiritually like 12, right? We want to grow up as we are growing old. Old, and that's what God desires for us, that as we grow in him, that there's this cultivation of an obedient endurance, that, our, that we endure in our obedience. Like Job, the th things in the world around us can be going crazy, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay the course. I'm going to stay the path. When trouble comes, we have two options. We can view the trouble as an intrusion or an outrage, that God is intruding in our life and we can become outraged that, that this bad thing has happened or we can view it as an opportunity to, to respond in specific obedience to God's will. 
that I can look at, at, at this, this problem, this trouble, this trial, whatever it may be, and I can say, well, this is an intrusion in my life. I can be angry at it, or I can look at it as an opportunity to continue following God through the storm. Those are the two options that we have. So we can, if we can view it as an intrusion or an opportunity to develop endurance. And listen, endurance is not this jaw-clenched reg- resignation that's not endurance but neither is it this passive submission well I guess it's just what God wants and I'm just gonna it's it's neither one of those in fact one one writer says it's a long obedience in the same direction it's an understanding again that God has a plan that God has a path and that it's for my benefit for my welfare it is for my future it's for hope And I walk it submissively and I walk it willingly because I know who God is and I know that ultimately God wants good to happen. It's staying on the path of obedience despite the difficulty you may be encountering. Endurance is a choice in the midst of our suffering to do what God has asked us to do, whatever it is he has asked us to do, for as long as he asks us to do it. That's endurance. And as Oswald Chambers wrote, to those to, or to choose suffering makes no sense at all. To choose suffering makes no sense at all. To choose God's will in the midst of our suffering makes all the sense in the world. You know, if you think about it, when we endure suffering, and we're going to, to choose our own way would really be a foolish choice because it's just going to dig the hole a little bit deeper. But to choose to follow God in the midst of our suffering makes all the sense in the world. And so as we kind of draw to a close today, these seven truths that we learn, and I would just ask, where do you find yourself today? Where do you find yourself? For us, the first place that we must find ourselves is we must find ourselves in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the foundation, the solid rock foundation on which everything else is built, is that relationship with Christ. I, I talked a couple of weeks ago at, a, at, a teen, at our teen camp and they, they, the, the theme this week was vines and branches from, from, from John chapter 15. And, I, I, and what I chose to spoke about was that Jesus is the true vine. And he says, if you abide in me, all things are possible, paraphrase edition, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And he wants the disciples in this time to understand that they've got to have a relationship with Christ. They have to have faith in him, that he is the true vine. So we can reason that if there's a true vine, if Jesus takes the time to say, I'm the true vine, that there must be false vines, that there are things that we can falsely, we can attach ourselves to that are false, that will give us the impression that things might be good, but in reality, they're not. Let me give you a couple of of well-known examples of false 
vines. The church is a false vine. If you just come to church, your life is not going to miraculously get better just by coming to church. Instead, you come to, God draws you to a church that you can find out about the Savior, the true vine, the one you really need to be attached to, the one you need to be grafted into, because the church doesn't change your life, Jesus does. So it's a relationship with him. You can, you can read through the Bible and say, you know, I want to live a better life, and so I'm going to read through here, and I'm going to do what the Bible says to do. But listen, if you're just doing that, the, the, the intent of the Scriptures is not just for you to do some rights and wrong, or to do the right things and not do the wrong things, and then life's going to get better. It's to point us to the Savior, the one who makes all things well. Because you know what? I can't do these things on my own. I need some help. And so Jesus tells us about the helper, the Holy Spirit, in some mind-blowing uh, uh, inability to understand how it happens when I place my faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside me, and all of a sudden I am empowered to live and do and, and experience things that I cannot apart from him. Because the true vine is Jesus. If, all the, if we want all these things to be true in our life, that we want to have endurance, that we want to have a, a firm faith, that we want to stand fast in the storm, if we want to have discernment, if we want to have wisdom, it is all found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we want to have hope, hope is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I'd ask you this morning, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you, rem can you remember a time when you surrendered to him? Can you remember a time? Right now as you're sitting here, are you confident that if something were to happen to you, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, God has numbered our days. Do you know for certain that if something were to happen to you today, walking out of these church doors that you would enter into eternity. And when your eyes closed in this, or on this, in this world and they opened in the next, that Jesus would be the face that you would see. And if you can't, that's where it all begins. All the goodness and all the promises and all the things that we love about the scriptures and all the, the, the promises that we want to be true about for our lives all begin in a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you do have a relationship with him. But maybe as you're thinking through these seven truths that we shared this morning, maybe you're realizing, man, you know, I'm not really steadfast. Whenever bad things happen in my life, I don't draw closer to God. I fall away from him. When bad things happen, I blame God. I don't turn to him for relief. I don't turn to him for restoration. I don't turn to him for healing. I don't turn to him for direction. And maybe this morning, one of these truths, just whatever, whichever one it may have been, just it, it, man, it just reverberated deep inside our hearts. But as always, we're going to have an opportunity to respond this morning. So our musicians come up, they're going to sing a song, and we're going to stand, and we're going to pray. Whatever. Maybe this morning it's salvation. Maybe this morning it's recommitment. Maybe this morning it's a specific need. Maybe this morning that, you're, that, that there's something going on in your life, and you have a specific need prayer request this was specific need would you come this morning and just and let God, he knows the need sometimes he says you have not because you ask not 
To me, that was true. I have always prayed for my children that they would grow up in love for the Lord. But Thursday night, I prayed that my daughter would be saved. And on that given night, God saw fit to open my daughter's heart. And my daughter responded in faith. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. Maybe this morning, you need to ask. Maybe this morning, you need to uh, open up to somebody else and say, this is what I need And maybe the joint prayers of of two or more people. So if you come forward and someone comes and they don't ask you how they can pray for you, look them in the eye and say, I thank, thank you that you came down with me and here's what I need prayer for. And respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And God, despite what the world around us may say, those that have served you can say emphatically that you are good. And yes, God, there is evil that exists in our world. There is disease that exists in our world. There is trouble that exists in our world. But God, you have overcome it all. And God, you are in control of it all. You oversee all of it. God, you can deliver us from it. You can heal us. You can restore us. You can make us well. You can give us the proper vertical perspective that when things in our world go to, go to chaos, Lord, that we can stand firm, that our faith is not shaken, that our hope is not lost. And we can experience the goodness of God. I thank you for those this morning who have experienced your goodness in their salvation. God, I pray for those who have not yet experienced your goodness in the form of salvation and pray today would be the day that they would respond to you. You have been calling them and, 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 and going after them and, and pursuing them to have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that today that they would know the peace that passes all understanding. I pray today that they would know the forgiveness of their sins. That today they might know the freedom that comes through a saving relationship with you, the burdens that are lifted off their hearts. God, I pray for the children of you this morning, that your children, your followers, God, that are anxious and have anxieties and have fears and have concerns. And God, their world is crumbling around them. And God, they're fighting for faith. They're holding on but God their grip is slipping and God they just need to hear from you today so God I pray that they would come and in humility and honesty that they would just admit and God we would be able to gather around them and pray for them Father God I pray for those today that are strong in the faith that God you would give them a spirit of discernment that they would be able to see how they might minister to those that are in need So God, I pray that in this time that we have to respond to you and and your word, that God, we would be faithful in whatever it is that you're calling us to. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.